Lekutah Sicha is Chelik Yates, Parsha Shoftim Sicha Dalad, a summary of the Sicha. In this week's Parsha, we talk, the Torah tells us about the, uh, the existence of witnesses. According to the testimony of two witnesses, shall something be established. So there are two different types of witnesses that there is in Allah. There's what's called Eide Birur, witnesses that verify something. They substantiate the truth of something. For instance, when somebody takes a loan from somebody else, you need witnesses to be able to eventually, if there becomes a dispute, how much money was it, or how, do I owe you, did it happen at all, you need witnesses to verify that it did happen. Then there is something called a dekium, which means they effectuate the thing. They are part and parcel of the event itself, which one example would be marriage. If uh, a man marries a woman, is Makadish a woman, you need two witnesses to not only to testify that it happened, but also without those witnesses, there is no marriage. If the husband and the wife married each other not in the presence of witnesses, even if they both agree that they did marry each other, there is no marriage. The witnesses make up, are part of the event of the marriage. A pr- another practical difference would uh, between the two different types of witnesses, whether they are witnesses that verify and certify or effectuate the event, would be when do they gain become when do they get the status as a witness if they are only there to verify the matter so until there is a need to verify it like they, there's a court case in which there's two a dispute going on so then the witnesses have to come forth and testify to verify what happened but until then they were really not functioning as witnesses only when they when it's important it becomes necessary for them to be witnesses that's when they become witnesses but in the case of a marriage, let's say, when they effectuate the thing, so at the moment when the thing happened, when, they, when the marriage happened, they became witnesses at that time. And this way, the Raghachavar explains the reason why the witnesses to a marriage do not need to be interrogated. Normally, the Torah says, the darashta v'chakarta, you shall interrogate the witnesses to make sure that they're telling the truth, that they're correct in their testimony, but by the witnesses to a marriage, we don't find that you have to interrogate them. What's the reason? Because when do we say that you have to interrogate witnesses? When they become witnesses in the court. When their testimony begins within the court case. But the, so therefore, witnesses to a, a loan or whatever, they become witnesses at the moment when, they, when the court case begins. But the witnesses to the marriage have been witnesses all along. It has nothing to do with now that there is some dispute going on, we need the witnesses to testify as well, and therefore there's no need for the interrogation. And this can explain another thing as well. There is halacha that if uh, a person is able to withdraw something that he said, if it's still within the span of what's called, he's still continuing his speech, which means there wasn't an interruption of the time that it says that it takes to say Shalom Alecha Rabbi, it's still considered as if he's in the middle of talking and he can undo that which he said earlier except for in the matter of marriage and divorce over there, once you said it, you can't withdraw it what's the reason for it? so Daran explains that the reason is because marriage and divorce are such important issues that, it, that when he decided to say it it means that he really meant it in any other matter, you could say that he said it, 
but he wasn't 100% committed to what he was saying and therefore still has the ability to undo what he said. As rather, he still has the ability, he hasn't yet committed himself to what he said and therefore until after he's finished speaking, it's still uh, up in the air whether he meant it totally and therefore could still you know, withdraw it. But by marriage and divorce, whatever he says, he meant to say it, and therefore doesn't have the opportunity to undo it. But according to this, that would mean that the event, the thing that he said, doesn't actually take place until those three seconds are over. And therefore, let's say if somebody gave somebody a gift of food, that person should not be able to eat the food until those three seconds are over, because he might still withdraw it, meaning to say that he hasn't yet finalized that gift until after that time has passed. But we don't find anywhere that there should be such a condition. You have to wait a few seconds before you can eat it. So therefore, it leaves a difficulty with the Ran's explanation, but according to the way we're seeing it now, we can explain this as well. Because by, by divorce and by, by marriage and divorce, the witnesses play a role in the event so therefore, even if the person doing the, marrying the woman withdraws it, he, has, he doesn't have the ability to withdraw what the witnesses were participated in. They are part of it, and he can't withdraw what they did, and therefore doesn't have the ability to withdraw a, a marriage or a divorce. Whereas in anything else, he's the one that's doing it. The witnesses are only st- uh, standing by, watching. They're not part of it, and therefore he can withdraw what he did undo what he did. The Rebbe now gives a, an explanation about these matters from the inner perspective, from the perspective of Chassidus. Since everything in Nigla comes from its origins in the inner dimension of Torah, so therefore all of these things, these four details that we mentioned, have also exist in the spiritual dimension. Uh, namely, that there are two different types of witnesses, the, ones that, the one that verify and the ones that effectuate. The fact that marriage witnesses are the ones that effectuate the event. The third point, that the ones that effectuate the event become witnesses immediately, whereas the ones that only uh, verify it, they become witnesses when they are called upon to verify. And the fourth point, that something that comes about through witnesses that effectuate it give a greater impact to that event and therefore it cannot be undone, as we said in regards to marriage and divorce. So to explain what, it, what it, all this is, the Pasuk says, Atem Hashem. You are my witnesses, says Hashem. The Zayra says that there are two meanings to what are the witnesses, who are these witnesses. One is that it's talking about the Yidin, the Jewish people are the witnesses to Hashem. And the other one is that it's the heaven and the earth which is the witnesses to Hashem. So the Rebbe says, perhaps we can explain the difference between these two different types of witnesses that the heaven and the earth are the type of witness which only verify the existence of Hashem. But the Yidin, they do not simply verify the existence of Hashem, they bring the existence of Hashem into the world, as will be explained. So point one the Rebbe makes is that the, the testimony that we're talking about here is talking about the essence of Hashem, not some lower level of godliness, uh, because when we say testimony, the Alter Rebbe explains that you only need testimony when something is completely concealed. If something is obvious and everybody knows it, you don't need witnesses. 
So if something which is logical and you come to that conclusion on your own, certainly you don't need witnesses for that. That would relate to Hashem, the part of Hashem which is integrated into the world. So if you observe the world, you see that uh, you know, it's being run by someone. That's a, a clear evidence of Hashem's existence in the world on that level. Even the part of Hashem which is called Seviv Kalaman, which is removed from the world, but it still affects the world. You can also come to that uh, knowledge by your own understanding, even though you can't understand what Seviv Kalaman is, but it's clear that if there is a part of Hashem which is integrated into the world, that can be the real existence of Hashem, only that He is the creator of the world. There must be something bigger than that. So we come to that also on, with our logical minds come to the conclusion that something like Seva must exist and therefore for that you don't need testimony either. Only the essence of Hashem which is completely transcendent of our ability to understand anything at all about it there you need testimony. So we're talking about bringing the presence of Atmos into the world that's what we're talking about. So what is the testimony that is to verify the presence of the infinite aspect of Hashem the essence of Hashem in the world the heaven and the earth display it because we see certain dimensions of infinite in the world as well. The fact that the sun, the moon, the heavenly bodies exist from time immemorial, from the beginning of time until now, that there is a certain dimension of infinite to that itself. Even on earth where species die out and new ones are born and so on, but the species continue infinitely and can go on forever. There's no reason that they should stop. Where does that come from? Obviously there is an influence of the essence of Hashem which is, which is the source of all infinite, all infinity is explained, is expressed in the world as well. Then there is the type of testimony which, which not only verifies but also effectuates, makes it happen, brings the essence of Hashem into the world. That's the Jewish people. And of course the reason that the Yidin are able to bring the essence of Hashem into the world is because we are rooted in the essence of Hashem and that's why it's us specifically that have that ability. But we still have to understand what that means, that the earth, heaven and earth only display Hashem's infinite aspect in the world, but the Yidin bring the af- infinite aspect into the world. So to understand this we have to first explain that which is our sages tell us. There's a passage that says, Eretz Yorah Vishakata first the earth, the world was afraid and then it became calmed. When did it become calmed? After Matan Torah because Hashem made a condition with the world, if the Yidin accept the Torah then you will continue to exist. If they don't then you will go back to to nothingness. So when the Yidin accept the Torah then the world calmed down. So in other words when you say that the world calmed down it means that the world felt stronger, became more of the world became more established because now it was unafraid. Now there was no reason for it to worry anymore. But if you think about it, Torah, Matan Torah, is what took away the strength of the world. The, per, the strength, the world represents concealment of godliness. When Torah came along, it took away, it stripped away some of that concealment, and now the world has less of a of a concealment. So therefore, less of world. So what does it mean that the world became a stronger Metzias? It would seem to be the opposite. It would seem that it should be the opposite. The reason that we can now infuse something, a physical matter, <coughs> physical matter with 
holiness is because the physical matter became more refined and therefore can now be a host to holiness. Whereas before Matan the whole world expressed one point, which is concealment of God. So the world became weaker, not stronger. And although it's true that the whole purpose of the world is in order for the Yidden, in order for the Torah and so on, but still there's, there seems to be a dichotomy between Torah and the Yidden and the world as it exists. So therefore, how is it that the world is seen to be after the mountain Torah where it seems to have been weakened? Why is it more affirmed? Why does the, fe- the world feel more affirmed? The answer is, when we say that there is a separation, a dichotomy between the purpose in the world and the external expression of the world which conceals godliness, that's only possible by creation, where there is a separation between koyach, the ability of something, and the fact that it happens. Like, if I want something, or I can do something, doesn't make it happen. I have to actually make it happen in order for it to become a reality. But by Hashem, we say, He doesn't need to do something in order to bring about His will. The moment He wants something, the moment He has an intention, the moment He has a kavana, something that He thinks should happen, it becomes the reality. It is the reality. And therefore, from the perspective of Hashem, if the kavana of the world is Yisrael and Torah, that is the real reality of the world. Only from the perspective from below can we see a separation between what the world displays and what the world should is, what its real purpose is. But from above, it's all seen as its reality is Torah and Yisrael. We see this also expressed in Halacha. As an example of that, there's a halacha that you're not allowed to carry out something on Shabbos from a public, dom- a private domain to a public domain, or carry something in the public domain. But carrying also c- has certain parameters. It has to be something of importance to have been considered to be carried. If you carry a crumb in your pocket, you, it's not considered carrying. Only if you carry, let's say, food, it has to be a kazayis, a certain amount which is important, which has use and purpose. So what happens if somebody carried out a less than a kezayis of food, but inside a bowl? It was food that had to be carried in a bowl, so he carried it out in the bowl. He's potter not only on carrying out the food which is less than a kezayis, but he's even potter for the bowl which he carried out, which is, is the full size of whatever uh, the parameter for a bowl being carried out would be. And the reason is because his intent is to carry out food. So food, there wasn't enough. The bowl only is secondary to the food. So even though the bowl, the physical um, parameter of the bowl is big, but since its purpose is to serve the food, and the food doesn't have enough to constitute carrying, so the physical size of the bowl becomes secondary to the intent of the bowl, which is to carry out the food. And since the food is not enough, the bowl is not enough either. In a similar way, the reality of the world may display that it's big and, and that it has another purpose, but when it comes to Torah, when it comes to godliness from the perspective of Torah, the reality is whatever the intent is. The intent supersedes the physical, uh, the re- the physical reality. We find another expression of this in Allah, which is that 
um, there's a mitzvah that you have to burn certain, uh, let's say, expired karbonas like noiser. You have to burn it. You're not allowed to burn that on Yom Tov. And for this reason, the Gemara says that you're not allowed to burn truma either. Truma that became tamei, you're not allowed to burn it on Yom Tov. Even though the truth is that you're allowed to burn truma, let's say your kayan owns truma and it became tamei, and he needs to burn it. He's allowed to put it under his pot and burn it so that it will cook his food. So the question is, why shouldn't you be able to burn the food under your pot on Yom Because that is Eichel Nefesh. This is something which you're doing in order to be able to eat. It's not just simply you're doing it in order to burn uh, the truma because that's what Hashem required and therefore that you wouldn't be permitted to do on Yom But here you're doing it for your own needs as well. Why shouldn't you be able to do it? So Tesis answers that when two things come together, the mitzvah which is to burn the truma, the fact that you have a need to cook your food come together, the mitzvah becomes dominant. And the fact that you have a personal need in this falls away. And therefore what becomes dominant now is that you're burning truma, which Hashem commanded you to do. That becomes dominant, and therefore that you're not allowed to do in Yom Tov. You have a need for cooking that loses its existence in comparison to the all-consuming mitzvah of Hashem and therefore we see also the same concept but then if that's the case the question could be asked the opposite going back to the discussion of the Torah and the reality Hashem created the world thousands of years before the Torah was given and then already he created the Bishvila Torah so then what happened at Matan Torah that suddenly the world felt reassured that its real existence has meaning now it really exists as what the Abishter intended he already created it back then for that purpose. What happened to Mantaira? And the answer is, the fact that the re- Hashem's intent supersedes everything else, the physical reality, that is only when you look at it from top down, from Hashem's perspective, where He sees that the fact that He wanted it that way makes it that way, that is only His perspective. But when you look from the perspective of the created being, from below up, you see two separate things, the intent, because in our reality, intent and actual are two separate things. So therefore, the Yidden have to bring down the Torah and Mitzvahs into the world. The Yidden gave the ability that the world should be able to recognize that there is a Kavana and a purpose, which is what supersedes the reality of the world, and that's when the world became calmed. That also explains the, connect, the thing that we said before, that witnesses that determine, that only uh, verify something, their act, their uh, contribution, their role in it only begins when it's time to verify. The same also with the Shemaim Va'aretz. That they, their reality, the fact that they point to a certain expression of godliness in the world is not really fully understood yet. Only when Mashiach comes will the physical reality truly begin to see that it is part of Hashem's plan. But until now, it's just that a Yid could think about it and come to a certain conclusion. There's a certain allusion to it. Whereas the, the role that the Yidin play in the testimony of Hashem, which is that they do mitzvahs and therefore draw atzmos into the world, that is being fully realized now. That is happening fully now. It's just that we don't see it. When Mashiach comes, we'll be privy to it as well. We'll be able to see it. But it's happening now. So the role that we play in bringing Atzmos 
into the world is happening right at this moment also. It's not at some point in the future. The same could also be said in the personal Aveda of a Yid. That when a Yid approaches a certain mitzvah and he has to do a mitzvah and there are all kinds of um, obstacles that could happen and concealments and things which interfere. So he has to know that when a mitzvah is the, the subject that is the only thing that exists. Everything else falls away. Everything else becomes bottle. Nothing else exists in the place of the mitzvah. And therefore there's nothing that should be able to interfere with a yid performing a mitzvah.